The cream rises to the top. If you build it, they will come. Content is king, and so on. We've heard all the cliches, but the problem is they are totally wrong. Even the best idea, product or project will fall flat if it isn't communicated effectively. On the Figures or Speech podcasts, hosts Tammy Palazzo and Tim Wickstrom talk to a wide range of amazingly successful executives, business owners, and leaders about how learning to communicate changed their lives and their fortunes. Every episode gives us stories we can emulate and lessons we can follow. Welcome to Figures of Speech. We're your hosts, Tammy Palazzo and Tim Wickstrom. Our guest today is Zach Ferris, the CEO at Coplex, a nationally ranked startup accelerator that partners with industry experts to start successful tech companies. Coplex has helped start over 275 startup companies around the globe and was named one of the top startup accelerators in America by Entrepreneur Magazine. All right. Well, hi, Zach. It's really great to have you on the show. You know, I, we are very fortunate to have worked with you in the past. I really felt like your story from beginning to end has been such an interesting journey. And I want to start with your story of your first startup, actually, with Bounce Fire. Uh, you founded this at 16 years old. And then I know that you evolved that to a place where you started to transfer pivot from Ohio to Arizona and you took your team along the way with you. I really want to understand how did you sort of get their buy-in? Can you share a little bit of your origin with that story and how you made that journey with your team? Sure. Yeah. I was I was a class case of the accidental entrepreneur, I suppose. Uh, I started doing website design when I was in high school, back in early 2000s, actually. Started with just sort of the small town, small local companies, and then word got out of the town, and I started doing stuff on more regional level, and uh, pretty quickly realized that the money to be made in building websites wasn't in building the websites, but it was in hosting the websites. Uh, because I was, every website that we built, we were able to charge anywhere from 50 to $500 a month to host the website. And we started to build up a really nice book of recurring revenue. It was interesting. I didn't realize I was really building a company at the time. I looked at it more as doing some side work. Then all this, all of a sudden, I learned about this really magical thing called recurring revenue. So that was how, <laughs> I, that was how I accidentally got started in building the business. And it continued through college. We started to grow the team. We started to take on bigger projects. Really had that sturdy hosting foundation as we as we started to grow the biz and uh, needed to hire people. So naturally, I started thinking about like who are the smartest people that I've ever met in all of my walks of life, which basically included high school and college at that point. So I had to go back and try to find um, some of the some of the brightest people I worked with in my computer science labs and people that were really sharp on the finance side that I went to high school with, and I basically started assembling a team of really smart people that I enjoyed working with. I ended up building the, building the company to a team of 12. And um, it was in 2010, I got the opportunity to present our business to um, a group called the Global Student Entrepreneur Awards. So it was put on by Entrepreneurs Organization, pretty popular entrepreneurs entrepreneurship group around the world. But we presented the business and one of the judges from the final round of the Global Student Entrepreneur Awards in Kansas City reached out to us after the event and put, a ta- put an offer on the table to buy our company. So there were 12 of us at the time. I was 23. There were people at this event with me that weren't even 
old enough to drink. So it was a pretty interesting experience, (laughs) but there were, we were at the Kauffman foundation in Kansas city, which is really sort of the Mecca of entrepreneurship in the United States or one of them, I would say. Um, but we were at this, at this event with being recognized as one of the top 33 student entrepreneurs in the world. So there were, I think, four or five companies from the U.S. and the rest had flew in from countries I'd never even heard of at the time. It was a super humbling experience. There was a, a kid, a kiddo from India. I'll never forget. He was 19 and um, was born with absolutely nothing and had built a $250 million company wow. um, at the age of 19 doing IT services in India. So really crazy, really crazy experience for me. But the judge pulled us aside, put an offer on the table to acquire the company. And I will vividly remember the day that I pulled our whole team together to have this discussion. So we had an office in Columbus, Ohio, great, great city, by the way, but we that's really where we started to build our, our, our first company. And we got together at our, I was called the Dublin Entrepreneurial Center. It was a co-working space in, uh, in Dublin, Ohio. And I brought in our whole team, had a few people fly in, drive down, whatever, but we all got together. I brought my mentor, uh, James, who's actually my executive coach to this day. I brought him into the meeting and sat down with a team of 12 and we went through the offer and talked about the pros and talked about the cons and um It was a really humbling experience yet again because we had people on the team that had homes and wives and husbands and dogs and everything else. And we were making a decision to move 12 people across the country. It actually worked out. We had a really good conversation and 11 of the 12 from the team decided to literally relocate their entire lives, their family. A couple of them put school on hold all in in hopes that we could, uh, we could, continue on after the acquisition and build a, a really amazing company together. So it was a really cool experience. So it, I got to recap this again real quick. Let's remember 23, right? <laughs> 23. So what's going through my mind as a 23 year old, I'm wondering how, what was the internal dialogue? How are you feeling as you, you go through this process and you're leading this company and you have this acquisition that's sitting in front of you and, and, yeah, it's one thing to weigh the pros and cons, but what was the internal dialogue you were going through about communicating this to your team, about sharing it, whether you try to persuade them or not? What what were you internally, what was your thought process going through? What were you worried about? What did you feel good about? Yeah, that's a really, uh, no one's ever asked me that question before. It's, uh, I think it's a really good one. I was incredibly conflicted when having that discussion because on one hand I really did like I I, you know, I wanted to move forward with the acquisition I thought it would be and it was weird because I was actually more motivated by the ability to get all 12 of us together in the same city in the same office with an opportunity to really build something full-time together uh, versus kind of a disparate kind of freelancer tribe that was coming together to do the stuff that we were doing previously I was really excited about the opportunity to have all 12 of us hanging out together, living together and building a company together. But I really wanted to do it. I was really excited about it. And trust me, I wanted to get out of the the cold winters of Ohio. (laughs) uh, I went in, I remember having some discussions with James, my coach before my mentor at the time before the, the meeting. And I was, I wanted to be really careful not to, to persuade the whole company to go. I really did want, 
to sort of lay out the pros, lay out the cons. And I wanted everyone on the team to make a decision for themselves and, and what would be best for them and their families before we, uh, we take a big risky leap like this, uh, this move to, to the middle of the desert. So it was actually, it was, it was a little bit tough for me as a, a young leader. And I think a lot of the internal dialogue was what if this doesn't work out? What happens if we end up in a situation where I've essentially persuaded or convinced my, my team of people that I, I love and trust and respect to, to relocate across the country and then it doesn't work. And what would be the situation if that happened? <laughs> well, obviously it worked, right? You had 11 of the 12 of your team go and I know that you continue to work with them and have a, a really phenomenal relationship. I wanna talk a little bit about your personal coach because I think that's kind of rare for anyone to uh, have access to one, but let alone at 23 years old, realizing you need a coach. So I think the prodigy part starts to come out here a little bit, but what drove your decision to find a coach? And great that you've had the same one throughout your journey. What was, what was driving you to recognize you needed a coach and how did, how did he help you when you came to this place of, I need to share this and I fully respect, I don't want to maybe persuade you. I want to be very neutral about it so that they made a decision for themselves. How did you decide you needed a coach and how did your coach help you through that process? Again, it was, it was a little bit accidental. I was, so when we were doing the website design business in Columbus, I was spending a lot of my time networking and building relationships in Columbus, which when we talk about communication, I think I'd love to talk a little more about networking because I learned a lot about you know, communication and sales from doing networking. But I was out and about networking in Columbus and one of our clients was, uh, was James. So this lead lead came in through the network and I sat down with James and he was running a, a sales coaching company at the time out of Columbus and he was looking for someone to build his website. So it started with me building his website and then there was always something really interesting about James. I, I really, I enjoyed his personality type. A lot of people found him a little, a little bit abrasive at times, but I actually really loved it because he was such a straight shooter. So I remember showing up to a Starbucks and I was about five minutes late for the meeting and I sat down um, this is before we closed the deal with James and he, he didn't really know me that well. I think we'd met maybe once before that and he let me have it. <laughs> yeah, he was like, he's like, this is, this isn't how you do things. You need to be, he's like, you're young and you've already got enough barriers to get through because of your age. You need to be on time. You need to be 10 minutes early. You need to be dressed well. And like, it was just like he'd give me these little tidbits of information where everyone else was kind of like, oh, you're a child prodigy and blah, blah, blah. And then James is like, here's all the stuff you're doing wrong. I, <laughs> I, learned to actually, I actually learned to really like it. After we built the website, he became a mentor. And he was one that I always went to for business advice. And then once I got involved in Coplex, uh, that was actually when I engaged him on an actual true like monthly coaching arrangement. So I talked to him every, I've talked to him every Thursday for years. And it's been uh, probably one of the best decisions I've ever made in terms of both growing as a, as an individual. Uh, he's helped, we've talked through things with relationships and family and, uh, but also with growing as an executive. 
Yeah, that makes that makes sense. And I, it, sometimes it's just really good to get the beat down, right? Just that very direct, straight to it. Don't tell me where I'm doing things great. Lay it out for me. And, you know, it's it's fascinating to me that you've you've maintained that resource. And I think that that's fantastic. Let's talk a little bit about Coplex and how that evolved for you. So obviously, everyone picked up, most everyone, you're down in Arizona, and now you're starting to launch and work within Coplex, and and that's now growing as a startup accelerator. Uh, tell us a little bit about Coplex, because it's pretty unique. Coplex, among many things, having successfully helped over 275 startups, also has a very niche approach to this in terms of the types of clients you work with. Tell, tell a little bit more for us, if you would, about how you came to the place of helping non-technical founders and, and the startup of Coplex. Sure. So there was a step in between and my worst nightmare did come true. Uh, when we moved to Phoenix and sold the company, the things did not go as planned. And we did end up in a situation where there were 11 of us in Phoenix that didn't have a job and we were looking for the next thing to do. Uh, so I actually, I joined Coplex as an interim CEO in 2012, shortly after finishing our employment stint with the acquiring company. I did bring on the vast majority of my team that moved to Phoenix. Most of them actually came along with me to Coplex, which again was a really humbling experience. Even after they put their trust in me and things didn't work out as planned, they still, you know, a lot of the team that I still work with today um, trusted me enough to, to give it another try. But we, I came in as interim CEO in 2012 and permanent CEO in 2013, and I bought the company from the founders in 2016. So it's been a little bit of a journey for the last few years. But Coplex, when I got involved, was a, a digital innovation studio slash agency. So the company was doing website design, digital marketing, and app development, product development. Um, worked with a lot of startups and a lot of and on a lot of corporate innovation projects. So. Interesting fact, not too many people know, Coplex, which was formerly called Cyplex, has actually was actually the one that built the first multi-touch application, um, which are now it's now kind of the the de facto standard for all of your apps, where you can actually touch in two places at the same time. And we actually were the ones to build the first multi-touch app. So there was there's some really cool projects that they did. Uh, they had a great team. There were about thirty guy uh, thirty guys and gals in L.A. at the time in Hollywood actually, and the founder was great. Is still a really good friend. He's on my board of advisors today. But they had a really cool company doing a lot of innovation projects for startups for enterprise. We ran the company for a couple of years, and we we started to stumble across this this niche. So we noticed that. A lot of the very, I think the first epiphany that we had after doing this for a couple of years was we weren't building apps and building products. We were building companies. That was kind of epiphany number one. And then epiphany number two was the ones that really go on to do well when we actually do a look back at the data. We noticed that they're not 25-year-old coder kids that dropped out of Stanford engineering school and they're starting the next amazing SaaS company. Um, we realized that they were a little bit older and they were industry experts. And we, we realized that these founders were actually, you know, they'd done very well in their careers. They're really well connected. They're great leaders. They know how to sell. And they know the problems of the, in their industries really well. And we noticed that in a lot of these innovation projects that we built, both inside and outside of the enterprise, were being led by people that were, you know, in their 40s or in their 50s in some cases. And they're they're essentially building new technology companies. So... 
that was epiphany number two was, wait a minute, this is a little different than what we would expect based on the HBO Silicon Valley sitcom. <laughs> right. And we're, we're testaments to that yeah, too. Seriously. We're not 23 or 27. <laughs> and then I think the third thing that we noticed was the, just the massive opportunity of empowering people like that to, to get into technology. And um, there was actually a really great report that came out early, earlier this year from the National Bureau of Economic Research that did a study on the average age of a tech company founder in Silicon Valley when they started their company, not when they sold it, but when they started it. Uh, do you guys want to take a guess on what the average age of the well, Silicon Valley tech founder was? Be told, I reposted what you posted. <laughs> so okay. I do recall, and I want to say it was like 47 or 47, something. 47, my age. 47, right? Exactly right. It was, Thank uh, you very it was 47. Much. I'm a follower, Zach. I'm a total follower. <laughs> and I should be the sweet spot. So this should be my lucky year, right? <laughs> exactly right. So it was interesting. Then we kind of stumbled into it a little bit, but as soon as we started really focusing on the needs of kind of the, the industry expert founder that is a little further along in their career, um, we realized that there are no other startup accelerators anywhere in the world that are focusing specifically on working with those types of founders. And we see it as a huge opportunity. So uh, we doubled down and created a nine-month program to support founders that are industry experts, have a little bit more tenure in their in their respective domains and we've, uh, we've created a program to help them start their start their first technology company i love that and and i think that it's it's as part of that being part of that demographic it's certainly a different place to be and as you know we've been part of other programs where we have basically been the geriatric set of the group <laughs> everybody else I could have given birth to, just to be candid. So, and I'm really not that old, quite frankly, but still that was possible. I, I want to shift gears for a minute. I'm glad you, you mentioned this before. I, I really want to talk about, I want to talk about communication skills in the context of what you're doing, because we have always had a really interesting experience as it relates to this, and you may have experienced this when, when you met us, but we were always put in this weird bucket because everybody gets that what we're doing is important. We never really have to work very hard to sell the problem. And everybody has a great expectation on us to be able to crush it when we deliver our pitch because that's what we do. And it's interesting because from a, from a technical standpoint, yeah, we're great presenters. There's no question about it. It's what we do. It's what we teach. And we couldn't not be, we couldn't do what we do effectively if we didn't. But communication as it relates to being in a startup or being able to sell your message in a startup is not always just about your technical acumen of being able to deliver a good pitch. And I, I would love to know from your vantage point, when you when you think about the companies that you've seen do this effectively, and when you think about the companies that you've nurtured as part of Coplex, what does that look like for you? What, is really sh what does it mean to communicate your message in a powerful way for a founder of a startup? Yeah, it's, it's, it's something, it, it's definitely interesting. I almost, and you might hate me for saying this, but I almost think that the whole art of the pitch has gotten over-glorified by again, the HBO Silicon Valley sitcom. I think we've put in way too much emphasis on 
coming up with a great idea and then learning how to pitch investors. And it's almost setting the wrong precedent. I'd rather you practice your pitch in a meeting with someone that's a potential client that has their checkbook on the table. <laughs> like pitch your customers, not investors. And I think a lot of it has gotten sort of misconstrued because of some of the glorification of raising capital and venture and everything else. So you want to start with that. It's The pitch is really important, but I, I think that the whole come up with an idea, build your pitch deck and perfect it and practice it 3,000 times so you can deliver the perfectly articulate pitch to investors and go raise money is not the right move. I think I'd be more concerned about make sure your pitch is right uh, to the customer so they understand your value proposition and want to buy. And then I do think that it's all about, so our founders, again, our founders aren't 25-year-old kids. They tend to be successful business people. A lot of our founders have built and sold traditional companies before. They've already got established networks. And sure, they still need to go pitch. They need to go raise their seed rounds and their Series A, just like our 25-year-old coder founders. But I don't think it's necessarily, it doesn't necessarily need to be a room packed full of 50 investors and a PowerPoint presentation and a pitch. I think a lot of them are coffee. You know, they kind of adapt to their style, right? So I've raised millions of dollars for my own companies in coffee meetings and sending email follow-ups, not doing a formal pitch, right? I think it's a couple tips I would give is one, make sure you're pitching the right thing to the right people. Don't be overly worried about pitching VCs for money when you could be using that energy to pitch customers on buying products. And then I would say, um, you know, play off of your strong suit. So if you are more of the public speaker type and do great in that setting and find opportunities to fill the room and present to 50, 60, 100 people at the same time. But if you're not, and you would prefer to, to do more of the one-on-one, -on -one, get to know somebody, share a coffee, share a story, you know, don't force yourself to do that in a formal um, kind of business pitch presentation style. Sit down, have a coffee, maybe or maybe not have some printouts with you share your story, share what you're up to with the biz and they'll look at your deck and PPM and everything else later. So see that. And then just like having, when you do deliver that deck or that PPM or whatever it is that you you're trying to close or the proposal that needs to communicate things well. And if they don't connect with it in a very short period of time, you're going to lose the deal. We don't hate you for saying that. <laughs> frankly. Not at we, all. We agree with you more. Truly. I, I think that I, I you know, we have been favored, I think, at times because we can communicate well and can present well. And I, I don't always think that we're necessarily, we've always got the best idea. And, and certainly it doesn't, it doesn't give us any leg up when it comes to funding by any means. I agree with you that the process is a little stale, in, in my opinion, broken because it does put some people at a disadvantage who don't have the ability to communicate their ideas effectively. And I could not agree more with what you're saying about having that one-on-one -on -one interaction in a meaningful way. And it makes me think about one of our advisors is a professor of entrepreneurship at Babson College. And she did a study years ago, she was at Harvard and she did a study years ago where she studied 185 venture capital presentations. So she watched the videos of the presentations. She looked up the, the profiles of all of the founders, you know, studied the businesses. She really looked at it and she wanted to understand what made some of them successful and others not. And what she found is that they shared three common traits, the ones 
the ones who were successful, and they came across as confident, they came across as comfortable, and they demonstrated a passionate enthusiasm for their business. And it really resonates with what you're saying, which is, I'm, I'm, especially with an older founder, right? I, I've, I've been around for a while. I have a level of confidence. I feel really comfortable with what I'm talking about because I have a tremendous amount of subject matter expertise. And that allows me to communicate my message more effectively because I know what the heck I'm talking about. And the passion that's coming is coming from, you know, a lifetime perhaps of, of working in a, in a business. You know, we've been doing what we've been doing for a really long time. And we know that we have competitors who are just graduating from college. <laughs> and with all due respect to them, I'm sure that they have a, a care in this subject matter but they're 22 years old. Like they haven't been around long enough to have invested and really felt the pain points that we felt. And I, and I, I just think it's a really interesting, it's an interesting perspective and, and certainly we couldn't agree with you more. When you, when you think about the overall level of communication, right? Because communication is much more than just standing up in front of a group of people and we don't, we certainly don't, teach this in a way it's it's the it's the entry point always right oh people have to go and give a presentation but when we when we coach people and and certainly through our app and and everything that we talk about we say that communication is happening all the time anytime you're speaking in public you're public speaking which could be with your family with your friends you know with your kids so when you think about communication in that context what do you think the most important skills are or the most important aspects of communication are for entrepreneurs? Yeah, I think it, I think it varies a little bit based on the, the style of the, of the presenter in that case. But some of, some of the tricks that, that worked for me, I mean, I, I used to get pretty nervous. I'm a computer scientist, engineer. I'm not a, I've not always been a, a motivational speaker. That's not one of my skill sets necessarily, but it is now. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of things for me is I, I first need to figure out how to do it and get in the right mindset. So I'm not nervous because if you're nervous, all, it doesn't matter how good your content is or how good the deck is or how good the design is or even what it is you're selling. If you're nervous, it just does not work. So first and foremost, like overcoming that that nervousness that's sometimes associated with, with doing a, a presentation. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's interesting. I'm going to go back a little bit to something you were saying about the, the polished aspect of the speech and I'll, I'll share, I'll share a personal experience on, on that. Now it's, uh, we were very early on in our pitching and, you know, you, you talk about where your expertise is, right? Mine has been a trainer for nearly 20 years working with individuals to help them communicate better not necessarily what the idea was, but to really be able to articulate it in a way that made sense and, and came through. And I remember one of our very first pitches to a, a seed fund group, we went and pitched them and I got the feedback that I was too polished. And it just blew me away. I thought, oh my gosh, you, how, how does that happen? So when you... When they said they preferred me they because I wasn't polished. <laughs> so that didn't hurt my ego at all. <laughs> but but it, it, does re <laughs> it does resonate with the fact that yet there's a balance, right? There's a balance about being able to have the idea, to have the preferred mode of communication. Admittedly, 
I don't do pitches in that way. Those who can't do teach, I, that's sort of a little bit of my philosophy. So I'll teach people how to do theirs better. And it was a learning curve for me to, rep- to remember, I got to be a little more human in myself when I'm pitching and when I'm trying to present because it's not always about the delivery. So I, I completely agree with you when you talk about the balance between both of them. You know, something that I find interesting and that I know this to be true about you, you're a runner. Yes, right? Yes. You are still running? (laughs) Last I heard you were running. Semi-retired running, yes. (laughs) So, you know, it's I I like to equate it this way. I think maybe if you think back when you were learning to run or when you first started running or found an interest in it, you wanted to do it and do it well, but I imagine there's probably behaviors or things that you do that you learn that help you run whether it's your, uh, besides the, the shoes that you wear, it's your stance, how you hold your arms, the structure of your body, you know, keeping a loose upper torso and not overworking muscles that didn't need to be worked. And I equate what we do a lot to that, which is really helping people understand how they refine the mechanics of the presentation along with not losing their personality, who they are, and being able to, to show up. Because I agree with you, present where you are comfortable, and sometimes you have to get outside your comfort zone. And the best way to do that is to be able to have a good technique. Just like there is with running, presentation skills is all about technique. You can translate that anywhere at any time. I want to throw this back to you to just ask you to elaborate a little bit on how you You've evolved. I know you have in your journey from that 23-year-old to where you're at today to having raised hundreds of millions of dollars. I get all that. What are some of the tips you would share from your own learning that really helped you connect better with the people you're speaking with, whether it's a large audience or a one-on-one? What are your go-to tips that make you feel this is going to help me be a more solid, have a more solid interaction or at your presentation? Yeah. On on the public speaking, one of my favorite things, which actually helped with my own nervousness was humor. Uh, I was finding ways to introduce humor into the discussion, which I think it plays to your comment of let's make it a little bit more human. Um, so this sounds really stupid, but I, I make processes of everything and I have a process every time I go and do a, a, a speaking gig. I always look for like context clues the things that are happening in the room or the speaker before me, or I find some kind of way to make a funny at the very beginning of the, the presentation. Sometimes it's like a cheesy dad joke or something. You know, I'm not a dad, so I don't know if I'm allowed to say those, but I try to find <laughs> you can say just, what you want. <laughs> I just, I find something just interesting and different. And I started out with that and it just breaks the tension. And it's almost more of a trick for myself than it is for the audience because as soon as I, I get a few laughs from the room, all of a sudden it just busts through that that nervous tension. So that's a trick that I've used. In terms of like the interpersonal and a lot of the the, you know, I, the direct communication, getting a coach was a big one for me. I still struggle with this a lot. You know, I'm, I'm not on the empathetic side of the wheel typically. I think I show that I care about people from more about the, it's, it's about the things that I do or my actions show how I care, not my words. And sometimes in my relationships with even you know my 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 team, my even my girlfriend, <laughs> we struggle with this a little bit because it's just not how I show affection. And I've really had to learn to be a lot more self-aware of that. And I'm trying constantly trying to work on it. But 
the Dale Carnegie work was really helpful for me, how to win friends and influence people. That's been a real staple. I've been reading a lot of books on, on coaching and servant leadership, which really tie back to some of the human psychology that's talked about and how to win friends and influence people. But I try to ask more questions and I try to give less directive and let people kind of figure out, figure out their own answers and their own solutions. So, and, and kind of the more one-on-one direct relationships and stuff, that's something that I, I've been working a lot on lately. I love that. I love that. Where else do you, what else do you consume in terms of media? Like, what do you like to watch? Or this is the personal stuff, Zach. What do you like? (laughs) Put on, put on your empathy now. What do you like to (laughs) watch and read and listen to? What's on, I, you know, you said there used to be the question probably before you were born when people would say, what's on your nightstand? What books are on your nightstand? And that's such an outdated outdated <laughs> concept because nobody has books on their nightstand. And I, I guess maybe it moved to what's, what's, on, on, your your, what's on your Kindle, right? <laughs> <My> Kindle. <laughs> now it's like what TED Talks and what podcasts you listen to. But I'm going to use my old school term. What's on your nightstand? <laughs> well, to be completely honest, I don't a, bottle think- of, a bottle of Poland Spring, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> to, to be completely honest, I uh, I don't think I've finished a hard book cover to cover since I was in college. Uh, so I listen to books on Audible. I do about one a month on Audible. A lot of the stuff I've been reading lately has been um, obviously like the leadership skills and the coaching. I've been trying to get better at that. And then more on the hard skill side, I've been reading a lot about corporate innovation. So we're trying to, in the next few years, figure out how to apply Coplex in more of an enterprise setting to solve corporate innovation challenges. So that's a space I, up to, up to about a year ago, I didn't really know very well. Uh, so I'm trying to consume as much content that I can on, on corporate innovation. So those are probably the two things lately. I also just finished the book Originals um, for, I think, the third time. Uh, that's a really great read. I highly recommend that book. But Eric Reese's The Startup Way is a really good book on uh, applying some of the lean startup tricks in a corporate innovation setting. So that one, that one was a really good read. Those are a couple of recent ones. What What are the podcasts you love? I listen to Twenty Minute VC. That's one of my favorites. I every morning I usually just so I don't sound like an idiot throughout the day. I listen to kind of a quick five minute NPR. What's going on in the world? <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, um, heard it. Nice. I, I, I catch up on my my sports for five to ten minutes once every morning on like the NPR sports update thing, but. Those are the podcasts right now. Uh, Art of Charm is a really good one too. It actually hits a lot on communication skills. Oh, I haven't heard of that one. That's cool. It's a, it's a pretty good one. That's uh, from a little bit of a different approach. The guys that started it were like former pickup artists. Oh, <laughs> like really? How to, up, how to pick up men and women, but they've they've really taken a more professional spin to the podcast, and it's turned into more human psychology and communication, how to relate with people and build trust and build relationships and sell and all that. So that's a really good one as well. Very cool. I love that. Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) When you think about speakers in a very traditional sense and the ones that maybe, you know, TED Talks you've seen or political figures, like who are some speakers that you have seen that really connected for you? My two favorites for very different reasons are Damon John and Simon Sinek. Wow. Interesting. And they've I've, I've had the opportunity to hear them both in person a couple times, and uh, I think Damon John is is the obvious, right? He just he just like it, it gives you chills about twenty times during every one of his presentations. Like he's just one of the most 
just energetic, influential, passionate, just really excellent speakers I've ever heard. So he's great. And then Simon Sinek from a very, for a very different reason. He's more your technical engineering type that you can tell just, just perfected the art of presentation. He's extremely articulate. He, you can tell that he, he really practices and rehearses what he talks about, but he's got a really good way of connecting with people and turning incredibly complex thought processes into simple dialogue. So I, I absolutely love, uh, Simon Sinek as well. Very cool. Thank you for sharing that. Well, that's fantastic. I wanted to just wrap up, you know, with you because we're almost out of time. But if you were to give any young startup out there advice on how to take their idea from out of their head and begin sharing it, what would you advise them to do? So I would say my go-to, and this is something we do for all of our ventures at Coplex, is to, is to start out with building a, a lean canvas or a business model canvas, and then go talk to 100 people that are either, that there's either channel partners or customers in your business model. So before you go and, and invest time and money in building a new startup, go talk to 100, literally chart 100 different conversations uh, and pitch the business model. And every 20 or so, give yourself the ability to update your lean canvas your business model canvas. Um, this will ins- just insanely reduce the risk profile of building the startup just by simply going out and, um, and having a hundred coffees. And reach out to Coplex. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I just, I have one follow-up question to that. And I think as an entrepreneur, it is the one that we are most challenged by. I, you know, I listen to what you say and I love it because you're right. The customer, Talking to customers, there's no better way to really test your business. And there's so many, there's so many aspects of that that are beneficial. Just the experience of pitching your idea, the experience of getting that kind of feedback. But when you really get down to it, when you think about the prioritization of time for a startup founder, and I, I think that's probably something you hear a lot of from people is like, where's the time to do all this? How do I devote the time to my business? How do I devote the time to talking to all these customers? What advice do you give, do you give founders in, in managing that? Because you can drown in, in all the different things that you need to do when you're starting a new business. Sure. Well, a lot of people underestimate the time that it takes. It's, it's not an easy task. If you're planning on being a startup founder, I don't care if you're 22 or 45, if you're trying to start a startup, you're, you're going to need to commit 80 to 100 hours a week of work slash thinking about your, your company. Uh, and if you can't do that, then this isn't the profession for you. <laughs> so that's, I, that's first and foremost is, is you've really got to be willing to, to put in the time. The other tidbit that I would give is, uh, you know, get very intentional about your prioritization. So if you, if you really take the time to understand what the next major milestone for your business is, and use that to kind of create what we call rocks uh, or kind of these, these big groupings of tasks you need to get done in order to, achieve, to get to that next milestone. When you start planning meetings and planning your week and planning your schedule, you need to make sure that you put the rocks in first and then the fillers come in after you put in the rocks. So put the, the rocks in first and then fill it with the stones. So a lot of people, they, they, fill their whole, they fill their whole day with the stones and there's no room for the rocks and they don't move towards progressing on the business. I'm familiar with that analogy. I remember that. Yes. And it's a good reminder for the day, for sure. Thank you very much. This was a great therapy session, Zach. I'm really, really grateful. 
<laughs> Thank you, Zach. This was, this was great. We love talking to you and it was just so much great information and we hope our listeners got a lot of value out of it. You have so much to share and so much for us to all learn from. And, and as one of those middle-aged founders, we're grateful <laughs> that you're a Coplex. Thank you, Zach. Really appreciate your time, uh, your background and information. It's just always great to speak with you. And we'll do it again another time and know that we're big fans and followers. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me.